My husband fell asleep at the wheel and we went off the road at 75 miles an hour. We both thought in our minds, we're going to die. You had this big event happen. And in that moment, you got crystal clear that your husband is your rock and that he's steady and he's there. That was that moment for you that a, a total shift happened. It was thinking about, well, what's really important to me that I have to ask for kisses and hugs when I want them? Or is that really that big of a deal in comparison to, we all almost just died. It just put everything into perspective. I realized that I could still be me and be in this relationship. And I stopped trying to make him be my everything for everything. This is season three of the Your Neurodiverse Relationship podcast, which is for adults in all kinds of neurodiverse relationships, not just romantic partnerships. I'm your host, Jody Carlton, and I've spent close to two decades growing in my understanding of how our different brains influence the way we understand and relate to each other. Through the years, I've helped several thousand people understand themselves and their loved ones. This podcast is a place where I come together with others to talk about their journeys. I've got a great lineup of guests talking about things like masking, traits of neurodivergent folks, traits of neurotypical folks, what kind of things cause difficulties in our neurodiverse relationships, but also some of the wonderful things about our neurodiverse relationships. Also, this season is a video cast where you can enjoy watching on YouTube or you can listen to us on the podcast like you have before. If you're really enjoying this podcast and if you've gotten something out of it, please leave us a review because reviews really matter. And we want to get this out there to as many people as possible so they can benefit from it just like you. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe so you'll get notifications of upcoming podcasts and other videos that I post there as well. Welcome. What will we talk about today? Hello, everybody. I just wanted to say today is the last episode of season three and I just want to thank all of my guests again for sharing with me the most personal parts of their lives and their relationships. If you haven't listened to all the episodes, I encourage you to go back and listen. I'm still deciding how I'm going to structure season four, but I've got some ideas about how I might go about it. And if any of you have any ideas, just reach out to me at gethelpatjodycarlton.com. In the meantime, be sure and check out my YouTube channel which has several hundred videos and playlists for you. Lots of great stuff. I also want to give you a trigger warning for today's episode. It's a longer episode because my conversation with Kristen was just too important to break into two parts. She shares some pretty traumatic things about a car accident that her and her family were in last year. I want you to know before listening that some of the things that she shares are a little graphic and could be upsetting to some of you. We have a great conversation, though, about the work that she and her husband have done before this accident and since that has really changed the entire trajectory of their relationship. It's a great episode, and I hope you stay tuned in. I'm really happy to have my next guest. She is a neurotypical wife and a neurodiverse relationship, and I'm just going to turn it over to you. Kristen, to introduce yourself and just tell our listeners a little bit about your journey. Thank you. I'm a neurotypical and I've been in a neurodiverse relationship now for about 15, 16 years and didn't officially know that it was a neurodiverse relationship until about a year ago. 
the journey really started with our kids. I have two children. They're 10 and 12 now. Our daughter, when she was about seven years old, we noticed that there was some things with her with sound sensitivities and with textures, food and water touching her ears and just odd behaviors at school. We had her tested and she ended up being diagnosed with high-functioning autism. And when our son got to be about about age seven, eight, we started to notice that he was having some things with him. And his primary diagnosis is ADHD. Just recently, we got a diagnosis of autism as well. I would say it was a couple of years ago, back in 2021, we were really struggling with our marriage, with getting along. I'd always suspected that maybe my husband was on the spectrum just because both of our kids were, but didn't really spend a whole lot of time dwelling on it, but really started having issues with affection and communication. I was feeling very isolated and like I just didn't fit anymore. As that was happening, we then had a traumatic event with our son back in 2021 when he was eight years old. He had a reaction to a medication, psychiatric medication. I'm actually a psychiatric nurse. I've been a nurse for 18 years now. My specialty area, my passion is psychiatric mental health. When it's your own kid, your own family, some of that kind of goes out the window. But I was happy to use my de-escalation training and restraint training on my child. So I ended up developing PTSD from that. And I still struggle to this day. That event really started to make things really spiral downward for me and with my husband. I just was in a dissociative fog for a good solid year. And being in that state, our communication, everything just started to fall apart between us. We tried couples counseling and we did that for quite a while, maybe a year. But when we would go, I would always leave feeling awful. I looked like I was a crazy person that, that couldn't handle stuff or was just all over the place. We didn't have any conversations about neurodiversity or anything. I know in some of your videos you've done, you talk about how couples counseling can actually do some damage it did make things worse and from there we just continued to to try all sorts of things to try to make it work we even went so far as moving things got a little bit better for a while he was really trying hard to cut to, to step up and do what it was I was asking of him for affection and attention. But it just didn't hold very well. And so that's when I got um, desperate. I was desperate and I started looking on the internet for anything. That's why I ended up coming across your website and the things that you do. And it was just, oh my gosh, this exists. We need this. So um, my husband has always been more than agreeable to going to therapy, going with me, doing whatever 
that I asked of him. We started working with you and it was very eye-opening from the very beginning. I went into it thinking that I didn't know what I was what we we're going to get. I was like, what is this coaching? What is this going to really do for us? Uh, I struggled at the beginning. I had a, a lot of codependency issues. I, I have a lot of trauma in my past, in my childhood that makes my PTSD actually complex PTSD. So I have CPTSD and abruptly started seeing that this work that we're going to do with coaching actually isn't really about, about us, but it was more about me and looking at myself, figuring out who I was and what I brought to the relationship, what I had in my backpack, as you call it. My husband had his backpack too. It was, I think it would be maybe about two months or so before we started working with, with you that we actually had him tested for autism and he did show as being on the spectrum. I know that report was very hard for him to read. It was hard for me to read even because I just felt such deep empathy doing what I do as a psychiatric nurse. I just saw, I just can't imagine having that at this age, put right in front of your face. And he went through, I was able to of the depression almost after that, when we came to you, he had to start looking at it at himself. And we really struggled the first couple months with it. We did two rounds and it wasn't until close to the end when things started to change. It was because through all the conversations that we'd had and spent so much time hashing out, nitpicking over these little things that were going on in our home where he or I would be cleaning and he didn't like how I cleaned. There were certain sounds that I would make or behaviors I would do that would trigger him and make him feel anxious. All that kind of came out in the coaching and we both just became a lot more self-aware of what was happening. It was like a light bulb went off. It, it took a while, but realizing what his capacity was, who he was, and what he brought to the relationship, I had to decide, is this the life I want and who I want to be with, with these limitations from these capacity issues? We were very close to divorce. I had even gone and met with a lawyer and had gotten the paperwork to file because I was just desperate for things to change. It was very isolating in a non-diverse relationship if you don't know how to communicate. Those expectations of what a neurotypical relationship would look like are really different than what that neurodiverse relationship looks like. And I know you've shared with me quite a bit what your husband does actually bring to the relationship as well. It looks really different than what you had expected a neurotypical relationship should look like. So there are things that you're recognizing. I think it would be helpful to some of the listeners who do feel like they're in that place of, I have to do everything. I'm doing it all. I'm, I'm carrying the whole burden of our relationship. What do you see him doing? He is often brings himself to the relationship and he is 
pretty predictable. He's my steady rock. He's the steady rock for our family. He will do anything for us. We just have to ask sometimes. And that was where before I was expecting that you just pick up on that stuff. You could read into things. You can see that they look stressed or have little conversations about things that are going on. Those just don't happen in our relationship. But I was expecting that. I was taking that as a personal, he doesn't love me. He doesn't want to be with me. He doesn't care. He's not interested. And that's just not true. I have to bring it to him. If I'm struggling or upset about something, if I go and bring it to him, he will sit there for as long as I need him to. And he'll listen. I have figured out just knowing what his special interests are, like work. He's very talented with leadership management type things. Sometimes if I can take my problem and spin it a little bit and put it into the context of what he does for work, he really lights up and has been so helpful to me. He's been my counselor sometimes when I have (laughs) work-related issues or interpersonal problems. I've heard you say many times that he's my steady rock. You just described really um, intensely traumatic journey. I want to circle back and talk about that some more because I know that there are people here who are going to relate to your journey. And something that you've repeated is you, how you had complex PTSD yourself from all of that because of the emotional toll that it took on you, the impact on you emotionally. And then your husband being that steady rock with not nearly the emotional experience that you're having. How has your perspective on that changed from when in earlier on, you weren't seeing that emotional range in him? How's your perspective changed on how that contributes to your relationship? I would say, okay, I have this mindset now of we can't expect one person to be everything and to do everything for us. There's a lot of things that are just totally outside of his capacity. And that's not even just for neurodivergent people. It's also neurotypicals is the same thing. So I just started realizing, okay, what is it that he brings that's the most important to me? And it was just that I'm like, man. He's been there the whole time. He's never left my side. I've gone through major depressive episodes over the years. And he was there. I just didn't know how to communicate with him to get what I needed. You were feeling these really intense emotions and you weren't really seeing that reciprocated as much in him. He was showing up for you, being there for you. And you were feeling these intense emotions, but not really seeing it in him. How has your perspective changed about your own emotions? What did you think about yourself and your own emotional reactions to all of this versus now? Yeah, my emotional reactions, I was taking a lot of things personally. And that just wasn't the case. Uh, I just really tried to give the benefit of the doubt. So with my emotions, bless him for how he's been able to help me and stay with me over the years. And it's hard. 
it's hard sometimes being with him. I'm sure I know it's hard for him to be with me sometimes, but that's just part of being in a relationship. I would say now I honestly have less intense emotional reactions to things that he does or doesn't do because I'm able to pause. All this work that we did with the coaching, it gave me this pause button where I didn't have it before, where he would maybe not make eye contact with me or speak to me. He would disappear for half an hour when he would get home from work. I would react gratefully to that in the past. The intense emotional, just feeling like you don't love me, you don't like me, you don't want me. But now I could just hit pause and be like, wait a minute. I know he does. I already know he does because he's here. He showed up. We've committed to each other and I just can let a lot of things go. There are two things that I'm hearing there. One is your emotional response to him, the misinterpretation, that misinterpretation of meaning of what does it mean? So you've realized over time, you've come to a better, clearer understanding of what it means and that it, it doesn't mean he doesn't care about you. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. But the other thing too is not just emotional reactions to him, but just to life and to your children. Was there a point where you felt like your emotions were too big, but now are you more accepting of having those emotions relative to him? Yeah, it was because I just don't feel judged. I'm trying to remember how I came to that because there wasn't anything specific. Like we didn't have a conversation or something about that. I just no longer felt judged for being myself. I almost gained some self-confidence and this is me and I don't have to change who I am. I can change some of my behaviors, things that I do, but I don't have to change me or who I am. I like who I am. This is me. Back to who we are and having those codependent traits that you mentioned before puts you in a position to try to accommodate and please him with him being someone who has a much narrower emotional range and not really the ability to understand yours as it's just on a language he really speaks like you do. There was that pressure for you to become less emotional, more like him. And so your emotions are going to feel out of control. Some of the work that he did was to learn that you are who you are and he is who he is and that it's okay that you're not supposed to be like him and he's not supposed to be like you. He isn't judging you for your emotions because he now realizes that language is there for you and it's not a language he speaks. That's a major shift I saw for the two of you. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think I should don't know how it happened, but it did. There is one event that happened that I haven't mentioned that I want to share. We stopped picking on these little things and just started accepting who we are. Once we did that, we stopped arguing about who we are. Something that happened to us that is going to be very unique that not all listeners are going to be able to relate to, but that I think is significant was we had our final call with you at the end of November. My mind shift already started to happen, but wasn't fully there yet. We were getting along better in December and our family 
was going to go to Disney World and we were leaving on Christmas Eve day. We were traveling with another family of four, but we were in separate vehicles. We were trying to beat the snowstorm and we decided to drive down to Kansas City to try to catch a plane down there so we could still make our flights to get to Disney World. And on the way, it's one o'clock in the morning. My husband fell asleep at the wheel and he's never done that before. But he fell asleep at the wheel and we went off the road at 75 miles an hour. We both thought in our minds, we're going to die. And that's when the car went airborne from what we understand. And my husband blacked out. We think it was probably because the airbag hit him. But our wagoneer went into the air, rolled several times, and somehow miraculously went under the bridge without hitting either one of the wheels came off and then the emergency light came on and things were all cloudy and smoky in there and stuff. And I just immediately looked into the back seat of the car. Our two kids are back there. My son was laying on his side a little bit. He was still on a seatbelt. His eyes were open and he was looking straight ahead and his eyes were fixed. And I thought he was dead. So I jumped up, got into the back with him, grabbed him. My daughter with her, with autism, she started like, mom, what do you need? Luckily, the car had the automatic crash detection. I'm sitting there trying to hold my son and I hear this phone ringing. And then I hear 911, what is your emergency? And I'm like, you know, so we started telling them where we were. And my daughter got her phone out. She's looking on the map to see where we were. My son started to come to. His head was bleeding. I was holding pressure on his head. It was within minutes that help arrived. They had to cut us out of the car and they took my son and I to go to the hospital in the ambulance. My daughter was able to walk away. My husband was also able to walk away. He later he had the worst bruise I've ever seen in my life as a nurse. The entire side of his body was black from the airbag. But we get to the hospital and I just remember crying and screaming that it was my fault because I actually had been driving first and I had gotten tired and I asked to switch with him. And we did. We stopped, pulled over, switched, and it was within minutes after the then crashed. So I was hysterical about that. Didn't know if my son was okay or you know, whatever. And I just remember my husband came in and I'm laying there on the gurney crying. And he just comes over and he just starts petting my hair. He didn't say anything. And looked into his eyes. This is where I'm supposed to be who I'm supposed to be with. And we, we walked away from that. We were discharged from the ER within a couple hours. I went back to the crash site and the car, the highway helpers couldn't believe anybody even survived. 
but we were encased in airbags and just the whole car was torn apart front end back end what was left was the cabin where we were and seat belts seat belts save lives they really do i had been praying and asking god to give me a sign anything something that would tell me help me make my decision am i supposed to stay or am i supposed to go from this marriage and it was like instant after that crash it just was like we were both this is where we're supposed to be that unexplained inexplicable bond i saw my husband he was my rock i didn't have to even say anything and that's how he always is even day to day he doesn't have to even say anything he just shows up and that's good enough for me god gave me the answer i was looking for so i want to talk about that but first i want to say that's the second time i've heard you tell that story i still get chills i'm getting chills sitting here listening to it how terrifying and traumatic your family's already been through so much it's such a common thing for partners in neurodiverse relationships to be in a, in a place where they're really trying to, to decide, do I stay or do I go? You were in that place and so many people are asking God or the universe, whatever they believe in, for some kind of sign or some help. What I really want to highlight in your experience is that you had this big event happen. And in that moment, you got crystal clear clarity that your husband is your rock and that he's steady and he's there. And he was by your side in that moment. That was that moment for you that a, a total shift happened. And You've both shared with me since how your relationship, and it wasn't just you. It's not just a matter of, okay, a neurotypical partner has to make this decision. You both experienced that. You both lived through that moment of, I almost lost my wife. I almost lost my husband. I almost lost my family. And it was just as big of a moment for him as it was for you. And... <clears throat> I also want to just say that other people have similar experiences, not as big and a horrific car accident, but so many people do get many signs that their partner isn't there for them. Sometimes they may get other types of signs that their partner is there for them, that they are going to be someone they can ultimately count on that they can be safe when it really matters. Yours was a really big one, and I don't wish that on anybody, but I want everybody listening to stop and think about paying attention to when you get those signs. And I'm not really speaking in supernatural terms necessary, although for some, it's a faith type experience, but are there moments when you realize your partner doesn't have the capacity or doesn't really have the intention to be there for you? And it's important to pay attention to, do you have that 
from your partner or do you not? And that's the deal breakers that I talk about. Being safe with your partner is one of the most important deal breakers for any relationship. I know for me personally, in a much less traumatic way, I've realized that the partners that I had were not safe and that I couldn't be safe emotionally, physically. I had to be willing to recognize the sign. You had that experience where you had it. It was crystal clear clarity and you recognized it. You saw it and it was something really new in your backpack at that point. It was a, a life altering something. Like I said, the, the, the whole vibe and the feeling, the whole tone of our home just changed. I could have just lost my family. It was thinking about, well, what's really important to me that I have to ask for kisses and hugs when I want them? Or is that really that big of a deal in comparison to we all almost just died? Um, it just put everything into perspective. After the crash, when I talk with people about our relationship, I often refer to before the crash and then after the crash because we weren't even the same people in a certain sense we were calmer more tolerant the connection was always there, but it, it was starting to break but it hadn't broke yet it just came back the experience that we had together with the crash and stuff it just sealed it the effect that it had on us were very different which was really interesting my husband was able to just move on I was worried that he was going to internalize it. You know, that's one of the things about how he is on the spectrum. He just doesn't dwell on things. That inspires me to try to also not dwell on things. We started getting along better with our kids, just everything. It was like it erased everything and just we started over. Clean slate. Can I jump in and yeah. respond to what you just said about the petty things? That's part of what I help people realize with the whole two or 10 scale and what really is important to me at a level of a deal breaker and what really does impact my life to the level that it's a deal breaker. What happens in a relationship over time that's really struggling and doesn't have the framework of neurodiversity it has codependency and just a lot of factors and variables that are, are causing trouble for a couple is those little things really snowball. And when you know, they just become really big things, it's a huge ball of little things that are now just massive. But when you reset, like you guys did, and you get to that point where you're like, wait a minute, our lives matter. My family matters. Those are the things that matter to me. That's the point which you can say, okay, I can let this go. I thought that it mattered to me that my husband spontaneously kisses me and hugs me without me having to ask. I thought that's the way I felt love. But now I can realize that if I have to ask for it and he still does it, or that's his way of loving me, or that he does other things to love me. And it gives you a, a totally different perspective. It's really important to be able to figure out what are the actual deal breakers and what things can we let go. I think I said to you guys 
because I noticed this when you did meet with me the last time or two, that you were now living your lives and experiencing your relationship as you were just doing life. There was not a whole lot of focus on the relationship anymore. There was not a lot of conversation anymore about the relationship. I think I told you that a healthy relationship just lives. You live together. You do life together. And a healthy relationship doesn't spend a lot of time talking about the relationship. When you get to that point where you're doing life instead of talking about it, then you've really made huge progress. I see you guys have gotten to that point pretty quickly, too. So you, once you got there, once you hit that moment, it was a, a pretty quick turnaround, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it really was. We're human. We are all doing things that are making things worse sometimes. If I can't change him, I don't want to spend all this time trying to change him. That's what was making me so upset was just this constant, I got to change him, but he's not changing for me. And the reality was that you can't change a lot of that here. And um, this thing that I'm not happy about just doesn't matter in comparison to that. The change was quick, but at first I was like, is this going to stick? Is this for real? And I could tell within a couple weeks that it was real because there are some little things that I looked back and I was like, man, he really did change some stuff and did things for me. I was looking at some real surface level stuff, like give me more kisses and give me more affection and pay more attention to me. I wanted to move. We needed to get out of that old environment. And, uh, for him, finances and stuff were one of his special interests. He's very good at it. For him to bend like that and sell our house and do all that for us was how he shows his love. Before you had this shift in mindset about your husband, you weren't able to clearly recognize the things he was doing in your marriage. And now that perspective has shifted, and you're able to see more clearly things that he had already done in ways that he was showing up. You said, I've realized I can't change my husband. So what can I change about me? It's a question that comes up a good bit. And then I also get a lot of really frustrated neurotypical partners that feel like, why do I have to be the one to change me? Why do I have to give up myself? Why do I have to give up my needs? That's not fair. What would your advice be to those people? What does that mean to you now? Do you feel like you've given up yourself, that you've given up your needs? What are your thoughts there? No, I don't feel like I've given up my needs. I realize that the only person I can control is myself. I can't control him and I can't control other people. When we feel like we're losing control, that's what gets us really upset. I was in a constant state of feeling like I couldn't control him. Once I stopped thinking like that and start thinking about what can I do for myself, I realized and there's a lot of things I can do that he's been letting me do. And I don't mean letting as in any permission. I love to travel. I love to go visit my friend in Florida, go to Jamaica for a few days with friends, go to concerts and stuff. And since the very beginning of our relationship, I went off and did those things and he would 
stay, he'd be here at the house and he'd be taking care of the kids. While I was gone, I realized that I could still be me and be in this relationship. And, and I, I stopped trying to make him be my everything for everything. There's things that I can do for myself. I can be independent and autonomous. The things that I get from our relationship and our marriage together as a package makes me feel whole. Part of what you're talking about is that fulfillment, the ability to be fulfilled and to feel fulfilled in other ways. A lot of people go into marriage and it's because of what's sold to us by society and our families and our culture, Hollywood. We go into marriages with these beliefs and expectations that our partner is supposed to be everything to us. They're supposed to be the best friend. They're supposed to be the lover. They're supposed to be the, the travel partner, the fun partner, the parent partner, everything. And not that they're not parent partners, but sometimes, I know for me, it's better for me to go to my other moms, my friends that are moms, to get advice on parenting and to get help with how do I handle this situation. Sometimes dads, no offense to you dads out there, but sometimes that's where other people can meet those needs. I'm constantly telling neurotypical women, your husband is not your girlfriend. Your husband can't be your girlfriend. And whether they're a neurotypical, even my neurodivergent women, I'll tell them your neurotypical husband still isn't your girlfriend. Once we realize we can let go of some of those shoulds of my partner should be the one that does all these things with me, then we open the door for us to actually truly be fulfilled in other ways and to be fulfilled in our marriage too, but also other ways. I have another client who's just gotten back this week from India. She went with a girlfriend and did this retreat there. And it was a big deal for her because that's the kind of thing that she would have never done without her husband. She realized I can not only do this without him, but he and I both will be happier for it. <laughs> And it was a wonderful experience for her. When we first started the coaching, I, I got to the point where I felt like I lost myself. And then I, I tried for about for 15 years to make myself fit into his world and accommodate and become this person that was, I was trying to be like him. In the end, that just wasn't sustainable because I lost myself as traumatic as it was like the stuff with my son and the, the PTSD after that and what I went through for a year after that it brought me back to myself I realized the old me was still in there always was and my husband was still okay with it he still loved me I realized that there was bits of me all along that I still hadn't held on to. So like the traveling, going out with girlfriends. I was going to school online. I love studying, doing stuff like that. And he always supported me in all those things. That was one of the ways that he showed me that he loved me. It was also one of the ways that I still held on to who I was. I just, um, I had gotten to the point where I felt like I'd lost myself, but then found myself again. And now just the strength I feel when I think about, I can do anything I want. Within reason, but yeah, <laughs> do anything I want. I don't have to ask anyone for permission to do 
certain things. Some of it was from my upbringing and my traumatic childhood. I had this view, this very skewed view of what a marriage looks like, what love is. And that's something I'm still working on. I've been working on for a very long time. But those things were all influencing how I was seeing our relationship. So I was putting that up, our relationship up next to that. And that, it was not meeting my expectations. Well, mm-hmm. but the expectations weren't even realistic. And like I said, the, the car crash was unique for us, but it was just like a reset. We could start over. And one of my favorite things that my husband said at the end, it, this was the first time since we'd moved into this house. We'd been in this house for almost a year. It was the first time that he felt like it was home. Yeah, he did say that to me. I remember that. That gave me chills. It gives me goosebumps right now because that was big for him to share something like that. That meant a lot to me. I was like, when is this going to end this PTSD cycle I was in? Because it went on for two years uh, where I just and now depression and anxiety and like when is it gonna it ended with the car crash i want to also just acknowledge that your challenges didn't end with the crash that maybe challenges with your husband shifted significantly let's circle back to parenting because that's something that so many people here will resonate with being parents because so many people just like you recognize or realize eventually that a partner is autistic when a child is diagnosed or through that intervention process and that similar to how you discovered it. But that also means that a lot of neurodiverse couples are parenting neurodivergent kiddos. And there are varying degrees of seriousness and scary things that we go through as parents. I've lived some of the really terrifying things that we go through with special needs kids as they're growing up. A lot of people don't like the functioning labels, the level one, level two, level three, mild, moderate, and severe, but really those labels are about ability to function in society and not needing care. And so a lot of autistic children grow up and they're able to function in society, have jobs, get married, have children, but they're still autistic and they still have autistic traits and characteristics. But then they're having children. As level one adults, they've also developed ways to cope in society. Oftentimes they still need more. They need extra. That's why they come to people like me or to therapists because they're still a struggle with executive functions and social skills, there's always a learning process that never stops. But let's talk about the children because they're still young and they haven't developed. They're still working on those coping skills and they're raw. They've got sensory challenges and emotional regulation challenges. Parenting a child who's autistic is extremely stressful. And then doing that in a neurodiverse marriage is also stressful. So in what way have you seen that shift in terms of the way the two of you parented together before you really had this framework of neurodivergence and then also before this reset? 
How have things changed now as the two of you parent together? I think I applied how I felt or what I saw my husband as being to me. So the rock, even though he has some capacity issues and struggles with certain aspects of parenting, he's a rock for them and he's a role model for them. I started seeing, I'm like, look at all the amazing things that he had done with his life. And he had autism and didn't know it the whole time. I just felt like I want my kids to know that, to see that you can do amazing things. I tell that autism or ADHD, whatever they have, I know their label is disabilities, but they're really more abilities. They have special abilities that other people don't have. And we need more people in the world with autism because they see things and patterns and stuff that I can't see. Mm-hmm. They're doing jobs and stuff that somebody like me can't do. I, I'm a feeling person. I'm a nurse. <laughs> Caring hands and feelings, all that. I think with our parenting, the boxing gloves came off. We stopped. Um, we just really thought about what these looked like in front of the kids. We were doing the parent coaching thing through Impact Parents. They talked about the tone of the home. We had together decided that was our thing we were going to really try to change. And once we did that, you know, the, the volumes of the voices went down, the yelling got better, just the working together. And I saw the respect change. Rather than moms disciplining the kids again, you know, and dads just sitting there not saying anything, my husband would support. He might speak up or say a little something like, you need to listen to what your mom is saying at or don't talk to mom that way. The whole thing just shifted to really about how much of a role model he is. He's who I want to be with. He's still the same person that I fell in love with for all the qualities that he had. I didn't want them to have this story written that uh, I bailed because I couldn't handle it or something. Now, that's not to say that other people don't have serious struggles and things going on in their relationship. We didn't have nothing like physical abuse or anything like that, but uh, I just wanted them to see that people with autism can do anything that anyone else can do. I love that you are bringing that up about how you have two autistic children and they have an autistic dad. And I love that you are really focusing on how they can grow up and do amazing things with their lives too, and how he's a role model for them. And your relationship didn't have toxic characteristics and abusive characteristics. That's really key. Um, If that's there, that's a destructive thing that's very difficult, if impossible, for any couple to come back from. But I love the way you are seeing this whole idea of autism from a different perspective. A lot of people really struggle with that because they love their children and they have autistic children or children who have other types of neurodivergences like ADHD or learning disabilities, and they want the best for their children. But what they don't realize sometimes is that in their mind, that means becoming more like the neurotypical expectation when they grow up and they're hoping for that for them. But in reality, when we embrace 
the wonderful things that there are about autism. We need autistic minds. We need autistic people. Some of the greatest minds of all time have been autistic. When we embrace that and stop trying to make them neurotypical, it just changes our whole perspective. Going back to your expectations when it comes to parenting, there are just certain things that I know because you've shared with me have learned how to tag team in a different kind of way where there are certain things that you just recognize now that's something that mom does that better. And then there are certain things that dad does better. Once you realize we don't have to both do it all and we're not both going to be good at all of it, then you're truly partners at that point. You said it perfectly up until before the crash. Everything was, it's all or nothing. If I'm doing this, you're supposed to be doing this too. We do it together. That's not realistic. I started to see the discomfort and the pain that it, it would cause him sometimes. I didn't ever think of it like that. A good example I can give of what you were saying about how tag teaming things and whose strengths do we need to use right now in this situation? We were able to hit the pause button, but very quickly make a decision. I know this is not your area. I'm going to take over and I just need you to do this so that I can do that. Our son had a mental illness crisis about a month or so ago and needed to go to the hospital. And that whole situation is very anxiety provoking for my husband, as it would be for probably a lot of people. For me, it's like second nature. I just know being a nurse and stuff, I could see the discomfort when I started saying, okay, we got to take it. We got to drive him down. What are we going to do with the dogs? And what are we going to do about our daughter? And this and that. I saw it on his face. And I was like, you know, I think is outside of your capacity, like we talked about. And I just need you to trust me. I'm going to do this. And I'm, I'm going to make the decisions. I'm going to do this stuff with the medical. And I just need you to stay here and take care of our daughter and the dogs in the house so that I can just let all that go and then just go be with him. And we did that. And it was just night and day from the first experience when our son was hospitalized two years ago. I was able to go down to the hospital with him and I didn't really worry or even think about anything at home because I knew they was taken care of. And that's where playing to each other's strengths. I know his strength is being the rock, staying there. I knew I could count on him. I sent him a checklist a couple of times. He did them all. Actually, we do a lot of that now where he had said, well, it'd be easier if you just give me a checklist of stuff. I used to run around upset. Why aren't you just doing this? He didn't see it or didn't know that he needed to do it. So um, checklists have been very effective for us. We're still a team. Really? It's not about having to do it by yourself. It's about figuring out which one of you has a strength. In that situation, you had a daughter who had needs too. You had a daughter who needed to be attended to. He was able to do that. He was able to go and be that rock with her. Whereas you were able to say, you know what, I got this. And the other thing I want to point out, you mentioned, we were talking earlier about um, you don't feel judged for your emotions. I also see that you don't judge him anymore for his abilities or inability. If he doesn't have a strength in a certain area, you're accepting more of it. This is not your strength. It's mine. 
you go do what you do well and I'll do what I do well. It's opening the door for you both to feel more confident in the partnership that you have. And that is such a beautiful thing. I think that's an important thing for listeners to hear, both neurotypical and neurodivergent, because my neurodivergent folks, a lot of times, they struggle with recognizing that their partner is who they are, that their neurotypical partner does have certain abilities, empathic even abilities. Some neurodivergent folks have empathy. Some struggle with recognizing what's happening for another person and what needs to happen. Like you even said with the checklist, that's not about empathy, but sometimes it's just about an executive function is the ability to sometimes recognize what needs to be done. And there's a willingness to do it, but a difficulty in recognizing what it is. I hear them say to me, I feel criticized when my partner gives me a list. And then <clears throat> a neurotypical partner will say, well, I shouldn't have to give him a list. When in reality, if one of you sees what needs to be done and the other one's like, okay, yeah, I can do that. There's no criticism. It's just teamwork. You yeah. guys have figured that out. I'd made checklists for our kids in the mornings. The mornings are total chaos. The checklist really helped keep them on track. They still needed a lot of support but it at least helped them feel like they were a little bit more autonomous. And our brains like to dwell on negative things over positive. And once I stopped doing so much negative thinking and was looking at positive, I was just like, so what if I had to take an extra five minutes to make a checklist for him? It's all going to get done. I want to just thank you for being on the show. And before we go, is there anything... Any last minute words of wisdom or thoughts or anything that you've forgotten to say that you want to share with everybody? I guess I would say don't give up. Really look at yourself and stop looking so much at your partner for a little while. Look at yourself and just figure out who am I? What do I bring to the relationship? What can I achieve about myself that I have control over that could make things better and once you do a lot of the work on yourself then if you're still not happy or feeling fulfilled then it's okay to I'm have glad. to let I'll just second what you said because I remember when you said it to me and it's something that so many of my neurotypical partners express anytime they've worked with me and, and I get feedback from them is there's so much emphasis placed on the neurodivergence, the autism, that a lot of neurotypical partners don't realize how much they're a part of that relationship, that it's, it's dynamic, it's, it's interactive. There's not just autism happening to the relationship. You are bringing all that stuff that's in each of your backpacks, which is, by the way, in my communication program. Check it out. Crack the communication code. But that's what you bring. That's what you show up with. My neurodivergent folks know that there's going to be a lot of work on themselves. They're ready for it. But my neurotypical partners are like, oh, I need to what? <laughs> we're going to look at you too. You mentioned the negative thinking. It's not about shaming. It's not about guilting. It's about understanding, understanding and self-awareness 
we think we know ourselves until we really start looking into ourselves. One of the questions that I ask people is, what do you believe? Why is that? And why is that? And why is that? I'm going through that with another couple right now. And my neurodivergent partner actually was talking about gender roles and what he came into the marriage with some beliefs about what a wife's going to do and what a husband's going to do. And he said, you know, I'm realizing that those roles are in there, but intellectually, I know that doesn't make sense really, but it's like he's still responding in the relationship to his wife and expecting some of this stuff that's just in there. And he's realizing a lot of it came from his dad and other aspects of society. So we have to just get in there and start digging. And it takes both of you doing that. And it's so rewarding. And when you stop keeping score of, if I'm going to do this, you have to do it too. If you can stop keeping score and just say, you know what, I'm going to do this for me because this is going to improve my quality of life no matter what, whether it's in this marriage or with my friendships, even with my children, it just improves your overall quality of life. Once you've done that work, you can only then really look at your partner and your relationship and understand it clearly because you've got to really understand yourself. We didn't do that work when we were younger and figuring out who we we're going to marry. Nobody taught us to do that. When you get to this point, it's an important thing to do. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, another takeaway for listeners would be we've got to stop trying to fix autism. Yes. You fix autism. You can't fix or cure a lot of these things. We can still live a fulfilling life with autism. It's not a limitation. It's a trait. It's neurological. We can't fix brown eyes. I guess we could pop in color, but we can't fix how tall I am. It's just who I am. It's problematic sometimes because you guys can't see me from here down, but I'm short. Okay. And I can't reach the top shelf and we can't fix that. Thank you so much again. I appreciate you being on, and I know your husband's probably not ever going to want to, but if he changes his mind, he can, but I know he probably won't, and that's absolutely okay. Tell him I said thank you for sharing you with all of us, though, and I do appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, he was very supportive. He's totally fine. He just doesn't want to be on camera. I know. I understand. And that's a wrap, folks, for Season 3 of the Your Neurodiverse Relationship Podcast. Thanks again to all my guests who shared so much about their lives and introduced us to new mindsets and new ideas about neurodiverse relationships. Be sure to visit me online at jodycarlton.com for all the courses and other resources that I have available to you. And of course, if you're interested in working with me privately, just reach out to us at gethelp at jodycarlton.com or you can reach out to us through the website. Until next time.